Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to, uh, we'll be in a couple different places. So if you want to start with me in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. We print what we talk about um, in the notes that you get on the way in so that you can go home and think about this stuff for yourself. Um, and I'll read that in just a second, but I just need to talk to, I need to talk to our church for just a second uh, about a couple things. Um, for those of you who may not know, I, I was out of the country for the last eight days. I went with a, a dream team of 17 people to the nation of Haiti. I've been there before, um, but I've never gotten to go and do. We, we did a largely medical missions trip, and uh, it, I'm still processing what God let me see that week. There's two uh, people from two of our just incredible uh, young ladies that, from Echo that went along with us. And I know I saw... I can't really see much right now. Mallory's here somewhere. Where's Mal at? Hi, Mallory. Mallory went with us this week, and she, hey, hey, hi. And I want to tell you, oh, I'll have more people. People are yelling at me and waving, and I can't see because, you know, is, it, is that you, Sharon? I, just, I hear your voice, but I know, okay, Sharon's up here. So we had three of our, of our uh, ladies that went with us. They're all young ladies, right? That's right, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Write that down. I need points for that later. But um, they went with us this week, and I want to tell you something. You, you just need, if you don't know all three of them, you're missing out on something. And I, I, I want, you know, Mallory, you, you might not know Mallory. Mallory's very special to Kendra and I. She's the first first-time guest that came to Echo when we moved up here. And uh, she said she had visited, she, she, here's, here's something about Mallory. Mallory had a plan for her life that she was pursuing, and it was, she was just hitting dead end after dead end after dead end, and that gets frustrating. She's an incredibly intelligent young lady had a degree from Missouri University, had this whole plan for what she was going to do in medicine, and the school she wanted to go to wouldn't take her. Or something just happened there. And, and, and sometimes we just get frustrated when our plans don't come together. And they're good plans, but sometimes they're not God's plans, right? And so Mallory um, <laughs> sent a letter to Johns Hopkins just on the heels of this. They called her the next day and said, we want to interview you. And she's from Missouri, grew up on a farm. Her best friends are her family. And she, went, she said, okay, I guess this is what God wants, and uh, just packed up and moved all by herself here to Baltimore. And uh, who does that? <laughs> you know, who just leaves everybody just because I think that's what God wants? And so she, she moved here to Baltimore, and I guess she was moving here about the same time that Kendra and Chase and I were moving here, and she told me this past week, she said she, the first, she had no friends, she had no buddy. She was extremely homesick and lonely, and, um, which is hard, because, hard for me to understand because she's an incredibly confident, strong young woman. And she, um, she said six consecutive weeks, she said, I just said, if I can get connected to a church somewhere. And she went to six different churches over six weeks. Do you know how vulnerable and raw and inconvenient and difficult that is to just go to a church after, and just not quite feel like it? It's tough. So some of you might be here this morning, you're looking for a church. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard to come to a place. You don't know anybody and you're walking in and you don't know all the songs and whether you sit or you stand or who this guy is up front that's, you know, leaning on the pulpit and talking to you. You don't, you know, and I remember that morning because I was just like, I was fresh off the boat and, you know, I'm, I'm here in Baltimore trying to figure out what's going on here at Echo and Trinity and, and, and you know, it, it was a, I was, I was kind of, my head was on a swivel and I was kind of just like, man, I... Will anybody want to come to, you know, will anybody ever come and visit? And, and, uh, and then the first, first time guest that we met was Mallory. And um, so it's like my wife and I were like, we're pouncing. We're like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make this work. And, um, 
you know, Mallory just said, she prayed about it. She said, this is, this is where God wants me. And you, you fast forward that forward a few, a few months, and there she is down practicing medicine in Haiti. Just, I mean, I wish you could have seen, what, I wish you could have seen Mallory in action this week. And the only reason I know all those things is because Mallory also volunteered to stand up in front of a thousand strangers and tell the story I just told. And uh, remarkable. Sharon was down there with us this week. Sharon is just a rock of a woman of God, just a woman of wisdom. She's so positive and uplifting. She helped process 3,238 prescriptions this week. She's not a pharmacist. She worked in Social Security, man, but she just said, I'm available to do whatever God wants me to do. And she handed out medicine that, tragically enough, will help a lot of people for 30 days, and it won't do much beyond that, but we've given them a better 30 days, and that's something. It's a start. Tawny Robinson was down there with us, and Tawny, we're big Tawny Robinson fans in my house. This young lady has wisdom beyond her years. And uh, she also was in that pharmacy department. She doesn't do pharmacy. She's just smart. And she, uh, you know, she helped keep me organized. And, you know, I met somebody down there. I, I, I got reacquainted with somebody when I was in Haiti. And uh, I met the guy that I was 18 months ago when I interviewed for this job. And I miss him. And I feel like I'm back to who I really am. And I think if I'm just honest, if I can be honest with myself and a little raw and transparent, well, I'm going to be raw and transparent. It's just I'm not really asking your permission. Um, I've not been entirely who I really am since I've been up here because I've been trying to figure out what do you need me to be. And I've done that with the best of intentions, but in that I've lost me. Some of you have been through that. And it doesn't come from a place of trying to be easily manipulated. It, doesn't come from, it comes from a place of people who just want to please other people. And there's a nobility in that and there's a weakness in that. But I am a pastor. I am a leader. That's what I was made to do. I'm not passive. I'm not quiet. I'm not a guy who wants to sit in the background and just watch everything unfold and kind of react. That's just not who I am. And when I try and flow in those things, sometimes you just know sometimes when you're driving in the wrong lane. Or at least you should know you're driving in the wrong lane. And so it's not like I've been a different person. I've just been a a very muted version of what God's made me to be. And I'm sitting there this week watching doctors and nurses do what they do, and I'm just marveling at it. I'm like, these are superheroes. It's like I, the first time I went to an NBA basketball game and I sat in the front row, not because I bought the seats, someone gave them to me. I would have, yeah, I mean, the seats probably cost more than my house. But I mean, I'm sitting down there, I'm like, I've only seen these guys on TV, and now that I'm there, I, f- I don't remember who was playing, I don't remember the score, I don't remember who won. All I remember is saying, like, I just, my, I would, my mouth was agape the whole time watching these basketball players go back and forth, like, they're a human being like I am, but there's just something totally different about them doing that. I felt that way watching those 16 people this week. Because they come into my wheelhouse on Sunday morning and see what I do best, or what I hope I do best. And then I go down, but I never get to see a lot of you guys doing what God made you to do in the arenas that God made you to do it. And that's a tragic shame, and that's going to change my life. I've got to find a way to do that. I'm watching these people. And, God, and, and, and then I'm starting to feel really inadequate. Like what do we, And God just said, listen, I made you for this. Not for medicine. I made you to be a leader. I made you to be a pastor. 
I made you to care for people. And I think sometimes I try and figure out, well, what do you need of me to be? And then I try and become that. But here's the reality. There's some things you need of me to be that I'm not. And I'm sorry, I'm just not. And that's okay. But there's some things that I am that you don't even know you might want. But I want to give it to you. I like understanding people. I like getting eyeball to eyeball with people and learning about you and finding something about you that is strong and watering it and letting it grow. I like hearing people's dreams and finding out if there's anything that I can do to help them get there. I like listening to seeing the big picture and making decisions. I like being a visionary. I like doing those things. I can't not be those things. All you can do is suppress them. And when you suppress who you really are, you get miserable and you get lost and you get confused. And so I apologize to you and I ask your forgiveness for being a muted version, not of what you want me to be, because with all due respect, all of you, I don't care what you want me to be. I don't need your affirmation. But I can't stand in front of you and encourage you to be the you that God made you if I'm going to lead you otherwise. So I'm going to take the courageous step to step back into who I really am. And I realize for some of you, you're going to be like, hmm, I don't know if that's going to work for me. And friend, that's okay too. But I'll also say this, maybe you give me a chance because there's things that God has done in my heart that if you just give me a chance, it's going to bless you and it's going to help you and it's going to make your life better and it's going to get you where you want to go. But you know what? Every single one of you has something for me too. Not something you can do for me, but something about who you are that I need in my life. And I want to walk with people and I want to learn that. I got to do it with 16 people this week. That's who I was when I interviewed for this job. I think that's probably who they expected when they hired me. You know, but then I got here and some some of those demons I've been fighting for years in my life about being when everybody wanted me to be just crept back up again. I'm done with it. It's an energy vampire and I'm sick of it. It's just so exhausting to be somebody you're really not. Why don't you just relax and be who you are and let me relax and be who I am. Can we do that? Okay. Cool. All right. Well, that went better than expected. That was great. All right. All right, so let's jump into this. This, um, I I worked on this message, worked on this message in this series before that I went to Haiti. And uh, this thing just kept ringing out in my mind. I've been going back and asking God, there's so many different things, so many different books, so many different thoughts, podcasts about this, about Christianity. And I'm a guy that likes to take, I, I like to take complex things and make them simple. I run into people who like to take simple things and make them complex because it makes them look smart. Fantastic. If that's your deal, run with it. But I like to take complex things and make them simple. The simpler, the better for me. So I started asking God, what really is the main thing in all of this? What is the main thing about Christianity? Not the main thing about church, not the main thing about life. What is the main thing about Christianity? Is there, is there a main thing? Is there a big idea? Is there one staple, simple point that I need to be driving at and aiming at in my life? And I didn't start out with an answer to this. Because I think if we went around the room, we'd all say a bunch of good things. Some of us would repeat things we heard in church. It's Jesus, it's God, it's the Lord, it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's reading the Bible. Well, the answer to everything is read the Bible and pray. You know, like, is it, what? And what I didn't expect to find was such a clear answer. 
I knew there was an answer to this. I didn't expect it to be as clear. I don't know how long we're going to be in this series. But I want to simplify this down for you because I know in the room we have people who know Jesus and people who haven't decided whether they believe in Him or not. I know in the room we have people that have walked with God for a long period of time. And some of you, some of you are just starting out. And I'm so excited. Adam, I'm so glad you're here this morning, buddy. I am thrilled to death. I didn't ask your permission, but you know, you can yell at me later. This young man is the guy that prayed with me at Mission Barbecue and asked Jesus into his life and is starting his brand new walk with Jesus. And we are so thrilled for you. Called me the week before I went to Haiti when he was going through the tunnel about this crazy. He's like, man, I just had to call you and tell you. And I can't go through the whole story this morning. I don't have time. But he's like, I was praying about something that happened today. And then I went through the tunnel in Baltimore. He's an RN student. He went through the tunnel in Baltimore. He said, and as soon as I got out of the tunnel and my reception came back, I got a phone call that instant with an answer to my prayer. He's like, this is amazing. What do I, you need to talk to me more about prayer. I said, I don't need to tell you another thing. Don't overthink this stuff, man. You know more about prayer than 99% of the Christians I know. You just, you know, Adam just talks to God like he talks to anybody else. Don't change. Don't overthink it. He obviously hears you pretty clearly. So no, you just, you just keep it up. You've got a bunch of people cheering you on, man. I can't wait to see where you're going to do great things. Think the world of you. You are, you are a good friend and you're a good man. And I'm glad what God's doing in your life. And we're incredibly proud of you. And you don't need to be ashamed of that. You're a good dude. So the main thing, um, Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 through 16. I kind of started going through some of these people. I didn't pull this study from anywhere, so you know, I didn't take it out of a book or from someone else's message somewhere. This is just stuff I'm processing through. I'm on a journey myself, and I know you are. Moses had an answer for this. There is a main thing for Moses. Um, Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anybody know that you look favorably on me and on your people if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Just so you know the context of this conversation. What had happened was God used Moses to deliver the Hebrew, three and a half million Hebrew slaves out from under the Egyptians, which was just a miracle in and of itself. The Egyptians were very rich and wealthy and their economy depended upon having these Hebrew slaves. But God said, no, I'm going to set him free. And in one day, he sets three and a half million people free and changes a nation. Do you know our God of the Bible can change a nation in one day? We just don't expect him to do that anymore, do we? He's capable of it. Sets him free in one day. And they were in process. They were getting from Egypt to Israel. They were a nation without a country yet. They didn't have land. They didn't have territory. And as they're along their way, they got frustrated and they didn't feel the goosebumps and see the Red Sea part for a month. And so they decided to follow something else rather than God. And God brought Moses back up on the mountain and said, here's what I'm going to do. The beginning of the story, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to still honor my promise to you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you everything I promise because I'm a God of my word. However, I'm going to give you everything I promise. I'm just not going to go with you because I might kill you along the way. His word's not mine. (laughs) And Moses goes back up to God and he essentially says, I don't want your blessings without your presence. I don't just want the rewards. I'd I'd rather just have your presence. And to Moses, you know what Moses' main thing was? God's presence. Because he had tasted of it. He said, Once I've tasted of your presence, I don't want land, money, anything else. The main thing to Moses 
what he wanted most. His biggest fear was being separated from God's presence. And I'll just read these other ones real quickly without a lot of commentary because we'll dig into these in the next couple of weeks. David, we get a little clue as to what the main thing was to David. David says, the one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most. And I wonder what would be the one thing you would ask God for today. If we bent, went back through the last 10 or 15 times you talked to God, what would be the common threads that run through those prayers? Here's what David said. The one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. That meant something a little bit different to him than it does to us today because, you see, when David was around, it wasn't church. It was the temple. And the high priest could only go in the temple one time a year into the Holy of Holies, and that's where God's presence was. It wasn't everywhere. It was in one place at that time. And David said, if I could have anything, and think about it, this man had... Lots of wives, lots of money. He could have anything that he wanted, and he did, sometimes to his own detriment. But he said, you can take all that back. You know the one thing I want? Let me go in the Holy of Holies and just stay there. Let me just be in God's presence and just never have to leave. The one thing he would have asked God for was to be in his presence. How about Jesus? We get a pretty good idea of what the main thing was to him, what was most important. The one thing that he would grab before everything fell apart. But we learn what was most important to Jesus by what he noticed was missing, not by what was there. Jesus said, the Bible says when he was hanging on the cross at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice. However you say that in Greek, I'm about 15 years away from that. Um, I will not even try and pronounce it, but that's exactly the words that came out of his mouth. The translation was, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You know, that's interesting. We don't have anything recorded in the Bible that he cried out in pain when he was being tortured and whipped and when he drug. He may have. We don't have a lot of words that he said on the cross, but man, when he took sin on him, for you and for me, the Bible says God had to separate himself from his son. And the moment that happened, Jesus says, why have you abandoned me? The greatest pain Jesus suffered on the cross wasn't anything physical. It was recognizing that God's presence that he had and enjoyed was gone. Do you even notice when God's presence isn't around you anymore? Or does it take days, weeks, months, or years for you to recognize he moved? Or maybe he didn't, maybe you did. Last little vignette we have here is Paul's answer. What did Paul think was the one main thing? It's interesting. He says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Those of you that are students of the Bible can go back and see that wasn't the word that he used in Greek. Human waste was the word that he used to compare everything he had to that I may gain Christ and be found not around him, but in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, you can read that he says, I, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. The main thing to him, he wanted to know Christ and be found in his presence. Old Testament to New Testament, Moses, David, Jesus, Paul. If you sat every one of them down this morning and asked them, what's the main thing? Here's what I think they'd say to you. The main thing is for God and me to be inseparable. It's the main thing. 
What's the main thing God wants? He wants to be inseparable. And it got ruined in the garden, right? That was the tragic thing to God. The Bible says in, in Genesis chapter 1 that when he made Adam and Eve, God came down and walked with them in the coolness of the day. And then when they sinned, he had to be separated. And he's been spending the rest of time trying to get us back together. And when we come back together and you invite Jesus into your life, you're not separated anymore. You're together. And he wants it to stay that way. That's the main thing to God as he looks at you. He doesn't want to be separated from you. But I wonder if we want to be together with him as much as he wants to be together with us. I wonder if the main thing in our heart is really for me and God to be inseparable. And I promise you, if you want you and God to be inseparable, you will live your life differently. You must live your life differently. If that's not the main thing for you, then the fruit of your life will prove it. This God, do you know how amazing this God is? Just look at the God of Moses. Just look, just look at what the God of Moses did. I hope that's not my kid. It might be. <laughs> We've had a rough morning this morning. He, every time he sees Daddy disappear around the corner, he thinks I'm going to be gone for a week. So he's just, he's, uh, uh, he's fine. He's a boy. He'll make it. And he's got to toughen up a little bit, you know. Um, so he lifts three and a half million people out of slavery in a day. You know what else this God of Moses did? He parted an ocean and held water back long enough for three and a half million people and all their animals to walk across on dry land. They got into the desert and they had nothing to drink. So God just makes water come out of a rock in the middle of the desert enough for three and a half million people and their animals to eat, drink, and bathe in the middle of the desert to the point where if you went back there today, you would see moss in the middle of a desert and a rock that was split right down the middle from evidence that God put water where people didn't have water. Three and a half million people. That's the God Moses knew. What changed? The God Moses knew did really, really big miracles all the time. All the time. I don't want to know the God that people tell me about. I don't want to know the God of church. I don't want to know the God that my buddy... Yeah, I don't want to know the... I want to know the God that was the God of Moses. Because here's what I know. The Bible says God doesn't change. That means if he could ever do it, he still can. You know what change? We don't expect him to do it anymore. We've settled for a God that fits in our imagination. We've settled for a God that we can explain. We've settled for a God that we can understand. We've settled for someone else's version of God. That's, that version is not the... I know the God of the Bible. That's who I know. But I don't know Him well enough. I want to know Him better. I want to know that God. I want to know the God. Here's what I've learned in your notes real quick. We have settled for so little from God when there is in fact so much. We have settled for so little from God. God, that might help, help my little paper cut over here. And God, help my little this over here. Man, you're serving a God who changes a nation in a day. You're serving a God who splits oceans. You're serving a God who can take, who out of nowhere can make things appear. I told God this week, I want to know you like that. I'm telling you, I watch God make stuff appear where there wasn't stuff this week. Bottles of multivitamins that we did not order. And look, Tawny Robinson, if you know her, she went through that pharmacy. 
And we walked out of there and knew we didn't have what we needed. And we had doctors looking through our little tiny pharmacy. By pharmacy, I mean shelves on a wall in the middle of the hole in the world that most of you probably couldn't handle even seeing. No multivitamins. We go to lunch, we come back. On the wall, for no reason, are bottles of multivitamins. I don't know. You want an explanation? Go find one. I'll settle for God did it. You want to serve a God? Pick one that you can't explain. Pick one that does stuff. Not that just sits in a statue somewhere that you can talk to and feel better about yourself. Pick one that will mess with you a little bit. We settled for so little from God. God, can you make me feel a little bit better today to get through my week and get through this argument? We settle for that. I want a God that can make stuff appear where there isn't stuff. I want God to give me hope when I have none. I want to settle. Moses didn't settle. You want to be inseparable with God? Then you can't settle for so little from God. When there's so much. When there's so much. That powerful God, I want to know Him. Because I know He can still do the same things for me that He did for Moses. And I know this too, that if I get to know that God, then Christianity will never be boring. Some of you are so honestly bored with Christianity. This is boring. And I am so sorry. And I will tell you why it's boring. You ready? If you're bored with Christianity, it's because you do not know the God of the Bible. And it is not God's fault, it is your fault. Because he invites anybody who wants to, to come and know him. And you will never know him all. And he's the only thing you can ever study that you'll never learn at all. And you'll never be satisfied. And every taste is better than the last one. And it will drive you to him. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that I serve. I don't know him as well as I want to, but I'm on a journey and you're on a journey and he wants to be known by you. That's the God that Moses knew. It's the God that David knew. It's the God that Jesus knows. It's the God that Paul knew. Everybody in the Bible, they knew that God. And I don't want to know the God of Andy Stanley or the newest book that's out or the newest slant that's on this. Thank God for your books. I don't want to know your book. I want to know God. I don't want to know what you think about God. I want to know him, myself personally. You don't need me to know God better. I'm here to help. But maybe in some ways you do need me to know God better. And in more ways I need you for me to know God better. Because I learn about God through you. It's the way it's supposed to be. The more we we get to know Him, the more we're like Him. And the more we're like Him, the more accurately we represent Him. That's the way that it's supposed to work. But if Christianity is boring for you, can I invite you to just learn about the God that's in the Bible a little bit better? It won't be boring. Mess you up. Change your thoughts. Change your expectations. It will, knowing the God of the Bible will ruin you for normal Christianity. It will ruin you. So be forewarned. What's the best? What's the best? I saw stuff this week. saw God do some stuff this week. Because see, this God that we serve is a God of unlimited power. 
unlimited love and an unlimited willingness to forgive us and let us start all over again. No matter what we've done. That's the God I need. That's the God you need. That's the God Echo needs. Trinity needs. That's the God America needs. It has unlimited power. Unlimited love. And an unlimited ability to forgive us and start all over and against and walk with us through difficult things. So here's the question I usually hear. Why doesn't God still do that anymore? God, why don't you part the Red Sea anymore? Well, I've never been to the Red Sea and neither departed, quite frankly. But why don't you do it anymore? Why don't I see you do things in the Bible? That's not the right question. You know what the question is? God, how can I change so that you can walk with me like you walk with Moses? What do I have to do differently so I can attract your power? So that through me somehow, and that's the point, it's that he can't get through us somehow. It's all us in the way, because we're in the center. How can you, I attract your power that you can get through me and somehow bypass feeling, just let me be a vessel of getting who you are to somebody else that needs it. Those are the questions. It, look, it doesn't take God long to get attention for himself. Right? Didn't take long in Israel. Send some frogs around, some flies around. He can do it. Wouldn't take God long to get attention for himself around Baltimore. A couple dead bodies raised from the dead. A couple people healed spontaneously of cancer with all the medical proof you care to have. Skeptics, welcome, come read it all. Examine them a hundred times. Wouldn't it take him, what, that long? Just takes him a long time to get us in a position for him to do it. We'll move on. Number two. As Christians, we generally get what we want most. Not always, but generally. As Christians, we generally get what we want most. And here's what I know. If you want to know the God of the Bible, you have to want to know Him more than you want anything else. Do you know why you don't know God as well as you'd like to this morning? Because you don't want to. That's why. Why don't you have the walk with God that you want? Why don't you have the walk, walk, walk with God that you'd like to have? Because you don't want it more than anything else. You might want it, but, not, but there's other things you want more. And that's what you're getting. Or you're chasing. And you're miserable because you're not getting it. You've got to want it more than the spouse you don't have yet. You've got to want him more than the title that you think that you deserve. You've got to want him more than the warm fuzzies from people to tell you how good you are and how nice you are and how great you are. You've got to want him more than peace in your relationships. You've got to want him more than money in the bank. You've got to want him more than that next degree. You've got to want him more than you want anything else. That's what you have to want. And the problem is in the wanting. How can I expect you to want something you've never tasted? Your body doesn't work that way. You don't crave things you've never eaten. But I'll tell you about the third day when I was in Haiti. I had a craving for ice cream. You know how hard it is to find ice cream in Haiti? I do now. Here's, a, here's just a leadership lesson for you. Let me take a little aside. If you want to ruin any credibility you have with the team you're leading, promise them ice cream in Haiti and not deliver. I did that. But then, yeah, but then we found ice cream the next day. Four gallons of ice cream, $100 American. 
It's good ice cream. It was really good. You know why I like it? Because I've tasted it and now I crave it. If you can't help people taste the presence of the living God, how are they ever going to crave it? Sometimes you don't know what you're missing because you've never tasted it. I promise you this. If you taste... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever tasted even for one second of what you thought was God's presence near you, around you, upon you? I've yet to meet a person who says, yes, I've tasted his presence, who did not also say, it was the most magnificent thing ever. If that's what you really want most, you can have it. So what do you, the question is, what do you really want the most? What do you really desire? Because here's the deal. If we want to be a church that has 500 people, we can get 500 people. No big deal. There's marketing techniques for that. We can make it happen. I mean, shoot, I'll pay 20 bucks, you know, get $10,000, offer $20 a seat to come sit here. We'll have our 500 people. Big deal. Look, just trust your pastor on this one. I say this for a reason. I don't know that I'll ever say this again. And it's probably not a good idea, but I got home at 3 o'clock in the morning about steroid shots in both shoulders, and I just took some naproxen, so we're good to go now. Because um, I have fibromyalgia, and, and, and physical labor just brings me... So I needed to get some steroid shots in Haiti because I couldn't even put, my, put a shirt on in the morning. That's just what I, that's what I live with, okay? Um, just before you're thinking about steroids and everything, you're looking at me you're like, no, you definitely are not a steroid guy because, no, look, it's not that guy. <laughs> I've always been the pinnacle of health and fitness you see in front of you today. But um, where was I going with this? I don't even remember now. <laughs> yeah, and then I forgot, so maybe I shouldn't. You know? <laughs> Let me tell you about numbers for a second. So my the first job that I got, they said, we want you to grow this youth ministry. And uh, we grew it from 20 kids to 800 kids in two years. And we, the, I remember the night we had 1,000 kids in our youth service, and they went home, and I said, oh, that was, let, that was a big letdown. 1,000 kids came in, 1,000 kids went home. Fantastic. Next church I went to was a church of 4,000 people. And in my job, that's kind of the idea. You just want to go to bigger and bigger, bigger churches, more opportunities. It's just, that's kind of the idea if you want to chase after that stuff which really doesn't matter to me anymore. It used to. It doesn't anymore. I care less. I'm going to just give the one life I have away however God wants to use it. I don't care. I've been in the church of 4,000. When they gave me a youth group of 60, they said, we want you to grow it to 500. We grew it to 700. We want you to raise $10,000 for this. We raised $100,000 for that. Great. That's what I thought we wanted most. And we got it. Big deal. So, you know, we want 500 people at Echo. We have 500 people at Echo. Want to build a building? We can build a building. But if you want the presence of God, we can have that too. You want to change something? We can do that. You want the God of Moses to be our God? We can have that too. just depends what you want most. What do you really desire? I know what I do. I'm just, going, I'm just telling you. I care less about all that stuff. I care less if we have to unload that truck for the next 15 years. Give all the rest of it away to help people reach Jesus. I could care less. Whatever God wants. I want the presence of God. That's what I want. In my life. That might not be what you want. And if, and if that's not what you want, that's okay too. But you're going to get tired of hearing it around here. That's what I want. I want myself to decrease 
I want God to increase so that I can walk with God in such a way that I know him as good as I can possibly know him and that he can use me to touch people's lives. And I, I bet there's a lot of you that feel exactly the same way. That's what I want. What do you really desire? What could I do, God, for you if I wasn't insecure? What could I do if I didn't care what people thought about who I was and who I wasn't? What could I do if I was really free? What could I do if I really felt your unlimited power surging through my life? What if I were confident? What if I were a person who loved holiness and purity and I, I was a man of prayer like I could be and I was a person who walked you? What could I do? And you start thinking like that in the imagination of your spirit for a little while and you start to taste it. Let her be, if I want it bad enough, I'll pay the price to get it. Because here's the, here's the thing I have to be honest with you about. This all sounds real good at this point, but I have to tell you something. There is a price to pay to know the God of the Bible. And this is the part where I usually lose about two-thirds of the people I've walked with in ministry because they say, we shouldn't be talking about this. Look, let me just be real with you. Because I don't want you to get into this walk with God and then experience some difficulty and bounce. There's a price to pay to know God like that. I'm going to tell you what the price is in just a second, but there's a price to pay. I have to be willing to pay the price to know God like that. And I don't know if I'm capable emotionally this morning of telling you how he broke that down for me this week. But here's the price to pay. The price to pay for walking with God I'm sorry, the price to pay for knowing God is walking with God. That's the price you have to pay. You have to walk with him. Pastor, doesn't sound like a price. Oh, no, your spirit loves to walk with God. It's pleasurable. It's the best. Your spirit loves walking with God. Your flesh hates walking with God. Hates it. Your flesh doesn't like to read the Bible and study it and understand it. Your flesh doesn't like to sit in church on a Sunday morning when you could be doing all kinds of other things. Your flesh doesn't like to get up early or stay up late or in the middle of the day break away and just spend time with God. Your flesh doesn't like holiness and purity. Your flesh likes to gossip and complain and mumble and groan and tear everybody and everything apart. and put. That's what feels good to your flesh. You got to kill that stuff if you want to walk with God. And that is not pleasurable. It's not But that's the price you have to pay if you want to know God like they knew God. If you want to know the God of the Bible, you have to want it more than you want anything else and you have to be willing to pay the price to get it. So I was in such tremendous physical pain. I'm embarrassed to talk about this. So I have... Naproxen, here we go. So I have Epstein-Barr virus. I've carried it for seven years, um, which is the new name for chronic fatigue syndrome. It's in an active state right now, which means my body is making dead cells faster than living cells, and I just am constantly tired. I have fibromyalgia with pain that sometimes brings tears out of my eyes that I've tried to mask as long as I can. And there's some days I can't even pull a shirt up over my head because I can't move. I've suffered from clinical depression, and I have social anxiety disorder. I throw up about half of the Sundays before I preach because I'm terrified of being around people. I just try and mask it. I've laid my hands on people, and I've seen blind people's eyes open. I've laid my hands on people that can't walk, and they walk. I've laid hands on me, and nothing happens. 
And I was trying so hard to be strong for my team this week because those guys are champions. And I was worthless in the clinic. What am I going to do in there? I tried to put a Band-Aid on four times and failed. I mean, I was worthless in there. The construction guys, let's not even go there. Every time they saw me coming, they just said they were good and sent me back up the hill. (laughs) And I was trying to be strong for my team. I'm like... You want to have an exercise in humility? Go be in charge of people that every one of them is more educated than you are and smarter than you are. Go try and be their leader. Except ironically enough, there were no struggles at all the whole week with that. They just said, we don't need you to be the doctor. Just be our pastor. We'll, we'll follow your lead. Well, okay. I'll charge hell with you guys. I was hurting so bad. And I just asked God, I said, Why? Why won't you? It was, it's the worst it's been in years. I just couldn't even move. I mean, even this morning, this morning when I got home, I looked, there are bruises. There's a long story behind. There are bruises all over my shoulders just from, you know, this weird lady that was down there. It was like, let me help you. And like, she wasn't. And like, there's bruises from where every place she put her finger all around my shoulders. And I went and I just said, God, I just, I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. And one of the docs on our trip said, Man, I was looking at your neck. I've never seen anything like that in my life. Can I treat that? I was like, no, doctor. You just do what you're doing. I, she goes back and does her thing. I said, God, why won't you help me? And then the doctor comes back like, would you let me take a look? I'm like, no, doctor, please. Just, the, I'm the. And I said, God, why won't you help me? And I felt like God just did this. She went and put a shot here, a shot here, a shot here, a shot here. And for like a day of my life, I felt better. For the first time, I can't do it now. I mean, I could put my hands up over my head. I tried a cartwheel, failed miserably. Um, Felt great. And the pain came back the next day. I was taking a shower in a place that I, if I thought about it, I would have never even taken a shower. But I was, you know, you just, you know. Sometimes you're just in places of the world, you're just like, all right, God, just just help me not look at the bugs and the this and the that. And let me just... Because these poor little kids walk up here barefoot with malaria, have no water to go home to, and I'm complaining because there's a bug on the floor. I'm a rotten, miserable, lousy person. God, forgive me for not being more thankful for what I have. And I'm in there taking a shower. And God said, he he just said, he said, I've made you to do this. But if you're going to do this, this is the type of pain you're going to have to fight to fight the demons that you're going to have to fight to get where I need you to go. I said, then I'm all right. Then bring it on. Because if God heals me, fantastic. But maybe you also need to know this morning that you don't have to be perfect to do something great for God. He can use your weaknesses too. You read through the New Testament, he uses all kinds of words for healing. We use it all in English healing. There's healing by time, healing by medicine, healing by talk therapy, healing by the spontaneous zapping of God. Something's going to get me at some point, but I want to use the one and only life that I have to do everything that I can for Jesus. But what it reminded me was, you know, maybe I don't need to be lifting heavy things all the time. Maybe what I need to be doing is going around to people who are lifting heavy things and look them in the eye and tell them how important that they are. And I was like, God, how am I going to do this this morning? I got off an airplane at three, and I know I need to get in here and move stuff around, and, and I don't want to be seen not moving stuff around. And, and I get here, and there were like 800 people here at 8 o'clock this morning. I don't know where they all went now, but I mean, they were all here at 8 o'clock this morning. Because God, when he speaks to you, and you think you're hearing him, and if you're not sure you're getting it, he will just confirm it over and over again. And this stuff doesn't get boring. But you want to know him like that, you have to pay the price. But if you want something bad enough, you'll pay the price. I want to change something in Haiti. I want to just give them band-aids and go home. And there's a price I have to pay for that.
That's bigger than me. It's bigger than my job. It's something that I'm going to have to tackle the rest of my life, and I don't know what it looks like. But I cannot, I cannot, I cannot see what I've seen and do nothing. But there's a price that you have to pay. Number three, God comes where he's wanted and where he's wanted very much. You want to experience the presence of God in your life? You have to want him and want him very much. Here's what he promises. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Heaven help us. Because that is truth. Our loyalty is divided between God and the world and it vacillates back and forth faster than you and I realize. But here's the beautiful promise. If you come close to God, it doesn't say he might, doesn't say he'll wait, doesn't say he'll put it in a process queue. It says if you come close to God, he'll come close to you. All that means is God will come where he is wanted and where he's wanted very much. If you want him very much, he will, he will, he will come to you. He will come to you. And I'll close with this. I'm not going to be able to get through all this. Uh, let me just, this last letter A, this is where we'll land this week and I'll figure out how to start this back up and get going again with it next week because I think we need to talk about the main thing for a little while here at Echo. Even if you don't need to talk about it, I need to dig into this. Because if I'm going to, if I'm going to do something with the mandate that God has put on my life, I have got to know him better. I've got to know him better. I've got to get beyond Pastor Phil, I've got to get beyond Phil. I've got to get to God. I've got to get to this God. And I've got to know him better. Because I am so inadequate. Hunger and thirst is what causes God to move. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I never understood this verse until last week. I know nothing about hunger and thirst. So Thursday, we get our team and we load a bus with everything we could pack in Tupperware totes from our pharmacy. And the seven, 14 of us get in this bus and we drive through the most inhumane thing any human being could ever seen to get to a place far worse. Not in the city of Port-au-Prince where all the money went after the earthquake to try and rebuild that trillions of dollars couldn't fix. But to the places that nobody even knows about or cares about or can find out about that Google Earth probably doesn't even know where it is. And we drive to this little tin shack in the middle of a tiny village where even the trees weren't beautiful. And when we pull up, it was pushing 100 degrees already. We get there at 10 o'clock because it took us that long to just drive around giant holes in the ground to get there. And under that tin shack are people sitting shoulder to shoulder who had sat there for three and a half hours with a ticket in their hand because we promised them they'd get two minutes with a doctor. And... Nothing will ever prepare anybody for something like that. 
But you have to shut it down a little bit in your heart while you're doing it or you will be paralyzed and you won't be able to function. It's what military people do when they go overseas and do what they have to do. Then they come home and have PTSD because they don't know how to process what they went through and find normality again. So we set up as best we could four exam rooms, which is a stroke of brilliance. Mallory was amazing in that. She just, it's like, blah, blah, blah. She's, she's, we're all running around trying to do everything she needed to do. I'm tying things to posts. We're hanging. Somehow it just came together. We start seeing people, right? 266 people, the whole village. We saw them all. And then when it's all done, you know, Tawny's in the, Tawny and Sharon are in, the bus, which was the safest place to put the pharmacy, the bus that's sitting in the middle of the sun, the bus that was 25 degrees hotter than the outside, the bus that burned your hand if you touched it, they're in there for six hours, counting medicine one by one, putting them in Ziploc baggies and giving them to these kids. Every single kid we saw, every single kid has malaria. Every single kid has worms. I'm Sorry for what I'm about to say, but you need, every single woman had some type of vaginal infection. Every single one of them. Every one of them. And they're kissing you on the cheek and weeping, thanking you for giving them medicine that's going to make them feel better for 30 days and they're going to go back home and wash it down with the same water that made them sick in the first place. I thought I understood hunger and thirst until I met a little boy named Joshua who, as we're finishing up with the pharmacy, I'm, I was just inside the tin roof trying to do what I usually did around the clinical team was just stay out of the way. He comes over and sits down and he spoke English. And he talked to me for about 15 minutes and as he did, I just saw about eight or nine other kids his age, he was in about second grade maybe, come over and sit down and they're speaking to him in Creole and he kept saying, no, 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 no. And he would just talk. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a pilot. Why? So I can get out of here? I said, you'd be a great pilot. I'm not going to tell him. No, kid, that's a big... No, you water those dreams. You'd be a great pilot. And finally, he just said, he said, are you bored? I said, no. He said, are you thirsty? I said, oh, I hadn't really thought about it. He said, well, it's okay if you want to go and, and, and get a bottle of water. He was thirsty. He wouldn't ask. I went and found a bottle of water, that much I can manage. And <laughs> don't ask me for a circular saw or a tie tourniquet or anything else like that. If I find a bottle of water, I'm your boy. I found a bottle of water and I brought it back and I handed it to him. He opens it up and gives it away. And they pass it down, eight kids, one sip, hand to the next one, one sip, Joshua went last. They drained that whole thing. I was done. I was a mess. He handed it back. He said, thank you. I said, are you still thirsty? He said, yes, please. Our team was dehydrated that day so bad, dangerously bad. And a couple other people on the team saw what was going on. We got every single five-gallon thing of water that we had. We got eight-ounce cups. And those kids sat still in an orderly line. We went down and we poured refill after refill after refill until either their little bodies, their little bodies finally had enough in their belly for them to be okay or until we ran out of water. 
I know nothing about hunger and thirst. But here's what I know about this verse. The most inhumane thing I could do in that moment is have the ability to give water to somebody who was thirsty and not fill them until they just couldn't take anymore. If you're hungry and thirsty for God, how do you think he's going to respond to you? He's going to open up a tidal wave of his presence and fill you and fill you. God, I'm so sorry that I've cheapened your presence. I've gotten hungry and thirsty for so many things. I don't want to be that person. I'm so sorry for chasing after strategies and benchmarks and can we just pray? We don't need any music. Can we just pray? God, I want to know, I want to know the God that's in my Bible. I want to know that God. God, would you this morning open up just open up a bottle of water and just fill our little eight ounce cup today. And let us taste of your glorious, wonderful presence. such a good God. Better than we deserve. I know there's some of you here this morning. This is just a private moment for those of you that are new to church. Just every now and again, you just kind of, we just sense a moment that God might be doing something that isn't in our order of service. And we just kind of slow down for a second and just try and work it through with God and see what it is that he's trying to say to us or what he might be able to do and some people have their eyes closed and some people are just thinking and that's fine but if I hope maybe so you might have, if you might have heard something this morning about God that makes you want to know him better there's an open invitation to you you don't have to get a degree you don't have to take a special exam there's just a couple things that have to be absolutely settled in your heart you have to believe You have to believe that he exists. And that he has a son named Jesus Christ. And you have to know that you need him. Because as I've told you about me this morning, I'm the farthest thing from perfect you might find. None of us are perfect. But Jesus values you differently than you do. And paid the price to have a relationship with you. 
And if you believe that God exists, that he has a son named Jesus, that his son has already paid the price for your sins through his death on the cross, and you're willing, now here's the thing, you're willing to leave your old life behind completely, to repent of it, to leave it behind, to turn away from it, and welcome Jesus into your life and experience the fullness. He didn't just come to give you life, he came to give you life to the full. All you have to do is invite him in there and he'll come. Adam will tell you. A lot of us here can tell you that. And if you want to invite Jesus into your life right now, you can experience what maybe a lot of the people are around, you, around you are experiencing. You might not fully understand. You will in a second. You can pray a simple prayer like this. It just says, Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me for living life my way. I repent of my old life. And I invite you into me and bring me a new life. You're my Lord. You're the one who saves me. You're the one who changes me. And if you pray that prayer from your heart and you believe it, what you are experiencing right now is a taste of the most magnificent thing there is. That's called the presence of God over your life. His presence is the opposite of his absence. If you feel God absent in your life, get where he is. Jesus, I don't know exactly what you're doing in this moment, but I do believe with all sincerity of my heart that you're speaking very specifically to all of us. Maybe not all of us are wanting to listen right now, and that's our choice to make. Thank you for letting us pick whether we listen or we don't. But God, I have to believe that there's something on each of us that you put your finger on and you say, you know what, that needs to move a little bit out of the center. For others of us, you've put a finger on us and you said you thought you were done, but you're not done yet. I have more for you to do. For others still, you're starting to see things in your imagination that are taking shape. It's called a vision. And you're starting to see a you doing things that in the natural seem a little silly, but they're very, very vivid and very, very real right now. Let God be big enough to communicate with you in unique ways that stamp things in your mind that you'll never forget and treasure them always and chase them. And if you need someone to cheer you on and resource you to get there, you come talk to me and I'll do anything that I can to help you. God, you're such a good God. You're such a good God to all of us. You're such a good God to all of us. You're such a good God to all of us. Why don't you stand with me? And I don't know what, it, what is appropriate or not, whether we need music or we don't. Kimry, I trust your discernment. If you want to come up and you and the team want to lead us in something, you can. I'm not going to make a formal dismissal today. Here's my offer to you. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come. I'm going to stand right here. I don't care how. I might need to sit down because I'm really hurting today and that will be all right. If that's what I have to do, to be, it's fine. Right now, if I don't feel any pain, I get nervous that I'm moving away from where the fight is. So I'll stay right where it's at. But if you'd just like someone to just agree with you in prayer today that God will... Open up a hunger and a thirst for you, for his presence like you've never experienced before. If there's anything else, if you need a miracle, I'll sit, I'm going to be right here. There's no formal dismissal. I'm going to pray a prayer in a second. But if you would just like someone to pray with you this morning, we'll stay as long as it takes. As long as it takes. 
Your students will be done in just a minute. They'll bring them out there. You can go pick up your kids in just a moment. But I don't want to put a period on a sentence that for some of you, it's, it's just a semicolon or a colon. God's going to do something here at Echo if we'll let him. It's not written in any book you've read. There's not a 10-step strategy for it. It's a one-step strategy, and that is called drawing near to God. I don't need a plan beyond that. And some of you who know me well know that drives me bonkers. I like a good plan. But I'm tired of the planned. I want to be where the action is. I want to see God do some stuff that I don't even know how to ask Him for. And that's not for everybody, and that's okay. And if that's not for you, that's totally fine. That's, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. That just might not be where your heart is. Your, your heart might be in something else or somewhere else, and that's fine. That's fine. But I tell you what, if you want to buckle up your chin strap, you want to go after something, then buckle up your chin strap and help me. Do you hear me? Okay, thank you. I'm going to pray over you. Our team's going to lead us, and then you can either be dismissed or we'd be happy to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we're nothing. We're nothing. Today, I'm not asking you to do anything for me or do anything for us. What I'm saying in turn is I worship you, and I love you, and I need you. And if you'll have me, I'll have you. You're a beautiful, amazing God. Help us to decrease so that you can increase and that together we can do more for your kingdom. In your matchless name we pray. Amen.